Hey, uh, welcome. If you are new around here, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. And we often teach through whole books of the Bible here, and we'll be getting back to that next month. But right now we are in a series called Five Years. And we're looking at the life and teaching of one of the most famous people in history, a man named Moses. And we're drawing some incredible principles to help us begin to think more long-term about our goals and more long-term about our life and what we hope to accomplish and more importantly, who we hope to become. And so last week we introduced this series with, with really the big idea that in five years, what might God accomplish in and through me? You've heard this phrase that we often overestimate what we can accomplish in one year, but we underestimate what we can accomplish in five years. And so really the idea is around this time of year, a lot of you start to think through goals and objectives or resolutions for the year, right? And the problem oftentimes is that a lot of times these goals and resolutions in one year's time are completely out of reach, many of them. But in five years, they're way too, too small of a goal because you could accomplish something so much bigger if you, if you thought with more of a long-term view of your life. And so maybe some of you made some big goals last year. Maybe some of you made some, some big goals as you started out the year. And let me just ask you, how'd you do? How'd you do? Yeah, some of you. Yeah, let's see. Who made some goals going into last year? Anybody? Who made some goals going into this year? How many of you gave up on your goals Monday morning this week? You're like, resolutions <laughs> off the table. I'm not even going to do it, right? But now typically what happens is you, is you launch with some pretty big goals that you're trying to do and sputter out about February or March, right? Or Monday for some of you. And a lot of you, you just repeat this cycle year after year. New year, same, basically same goals, same failure. I, I saw this old movie uh, called Groundhog Day. Um, Anybody else seen that? Bill Murray? Yeah, it was pretty funny. He just keeps waking up in the same day and like can't get past it. And, and uh, it's really a, a good movie. But do you ever feel like that when it comes to the new year? It's like, all right, new year, same me, just a little bit older, right? And here's the thing. If you've been in that kind of cycle of rinse and repeat year after year, trying to get to the place where you want to go, you're going to need some new strategies, aren't you? If you're going to get to the long-term goals that God has placed on your heart for your spiritual growth or your relationships or your physical health or your career or a ministry, you're going to need some better strategies, aren't you? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at one important little idea for getting to who, what, and where God is calling you. If you have your Bibles, you, you can turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now Moses is the, the man who was called to lead the people of Israel out of captivity and into the promised land. And last week we saw he was a reluctant hero. Last week we looked at the story of God actually calling him to, to what, what his mission was, to be the agent that would, would lead the people out of captivity. And he argues with God and he, he bargains with God and tries to get out of it. But eventually he says yes to God. Some of you, you've been there. You've argued, you've, you've questioned, you've tried to get out of the thing that God, you know God's calling you to do, but it's time to say yes to him. It's time to step into that. And so next, what we see in the story, and Moses confronts the Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world. And what is the famous phrase he uses? 
Let my people go, right? Everybody remembers that phrase. And, and it's a scene of dramatic plagues as, as God uh, works to free his people because Pharaoh hardens his heart, right? And, the, and then at the end of this period, God commands his people to observe the very first Passover, which is this beautiful picture of what Jesus would do about 1,500 years later. And they would sacrifice the Passover lamb and they would place the blood on the side and the top of the doorpost and they would be rescued, they would be saved, they would be delivered. And it's this beautiful picture of what Jesus would do for us. God didn't first come to his people and ask them to do something to get into relationship with him. All he asked them to do was to trust him. And this Passover was a symbol of their trust in him as they would just place this on the door and walk under it. It was a symbol of trust in God. And this was the thing that brought them into this covenant relationship with God. And that's how it is. If, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You don't get saved by following rules. You get saved. How do you get saved? By putting your trust in Jesus. He first invites you to be part of his family. He first welcomes you in, right? And then what comes next is a process of sanctification, big church word. But what we see is um, next Moses leads the people and they go out. The Red Sea is parted. It's a beautiful picture of baptism, of going through the waters of baptism. And then once we're, we're saved and part of God's family, we are called to be transformed by his Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Not just for our sake, not just so we can be a better version of ourselves, but in order to fulfill his purposes for us in this world. And God has incredible things he wants to accomplish in and through you. And at Sinai, God introduces the family rules. Okay, this is how we're going to structure our society. This is how God's people, now that you're in, now that you're in relationship, here's the family rules. And then the Israelites go on to wander for 40 years because they, they don't enter into the promised land at first. So they wander for 40 years. And also this can be a picture that can be applied to us because so many people trust in Jesus, but they never get to the things that God's calling them to do. They never allow their lives to be transformed by the power of his Holy Spirit. They never get where God wants them to be. And perhaps this is the year for you when you get on that road, that path that takes you where God really is calling you to go and to become who God is calling you to be and to allow your life to be transformed, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in you. And ultimately, where the story is leading is Moses' successor, Joshua, will lead the people across the Jordan River and into the promised land which is a beautiful picture of stepping into calling and stepping into that life in the Holy Spirit, stepping into and abiding in him every day and then experiencing the blessings of that in your life. Not that life is always easy, but experiencing that intimacy and experiencing the blessing that God wants you to experience. And that's what this series, Five Years, is all about. What does God want, you to, want to accomplish in you and through you? How does God want to transform who you become and what you are capable of accomplishing for his purposes? Deuteronomy chapter 7 is a big pep talk by Moses because he knows they are getting ready to go into the promised land so they can experience the blessing God has for them. But they're going to need a pep talk because it's not going to be easy. So check this out. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 12 says this. 
If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love, faithful love, as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine, and olive oil, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt but he will inflict them on all who hate you. Now, this is an interesting, just the bunny trail. I'll go down it really quick. Did you know that God, there's laws in, that God wrote in the first five books of the Bible? There's health and hygiene things that were over 2,000 years ahead of their time. It's absolutely amazing. There's a book by a doctor called None of These Diseases that's based on this. So there's this incredible promise of blessing that you'll prosper in the land like no one else. I mean, you're going to live like never before. You will experience blessing. You will experience real blessing in your life. Isn't this kind of what we all would like to see in our lives as we walk with God, to experience the fruit of what he has for us, to experience the fruit of obedience, because it is tied to obedience, right? But to experience that blessing and richness in life. I mean, I think that's what we all hope to experience, right? But... Here's why it's a pep talk. Because Moses knows, hey, you're going to have to walk through some pretty heavy stuff to get to where God wants you to be. Just because you are walking in his blessing and in the promised land doesn't mean it's all going to be easy. Verse 16. You must destroy all the peoples the Lord your God gives over to you. Do not look on them with pity. Do not serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. You may say to yourself, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. See, they had a huge monumental task ahead of them. It wasn't just walk in and experience the blessings. Moses knew this is going to be a huge task. You remember the reason they never, didn't go into the land 40 years earlier is what? They were scared, right? They'd heard there were giants in the land, the Rephaim in the land, these giant peoples, and they were terrified of these people. They didn't want to go in there. And so they took a lap and another lap and another lap, right? 40 years worth until finally a new generation had risen up. And this was the generation that would go into the promised land. He addresses them because he knows it's not going to be easy. And, and for you, we, we have this idea that as soon as we get into this new place of blessing, and oftentimes we just think, if I can get to that next season of life, whatever that is, you know, if I can just graduate, young people, you know, just get out of school, everything's, I mean, I, I'll be there. I will have arrived, right? If I could just get married, you know, meet somebody and get married, then be smooth sailing, huh, I will have arrived and I'll experience this. Or, or you're married and if, if we just have kids, now life will be complete, right? And you think this idea of it's gonna, what, you have this picture in your head of it's gonna be easy in the future, don't you? And the truth is whatever your quote unquote promised land that you're hoping to get to in your life, we just have this idea that at some point things are gonna click over and it'll be easy. 
it'll be easy. And it's just not the case, is it? We don't like going through hard things. We'd rather go around hard things. Have you noticed that? That there's things in our life that we, we know we should deal with, but we'd rather skip that step. We'd rather, you know, if we could just skip two or three steps ahead. Um, you've, you've probably seen a late night TV infomercial at some point, right? Our culture is all about skipping steps, you know? Just buy this kitchen gadget and dinner will magically appear in five minutes. Five star, it'll be amazing, right? We're all about it. If we can skip a step, we'll do it, won't we? We're all about skipping steps. But the problem is when you skip the steps that God is calling you, when you skip the hard things that God is calling you to do, they end up becoming big deal things later in your life. And snares, this word is snare on here. And what happened with these people is, is exactly, Israel actually ultimately did not fulfill what God was calling them to do all the way. They ran out of steam along the way. And they cozied up to these people. And before you know it, they're worshiping and serving these gods. And barbarous culture that we can hardly even imagine here, you know, 3,000, 3,500 years later, idolatry where they would actually have to sacrifice infant children on the fire and horrid things, all, all sorts of horrid things, horrid immorality we can barely even comprehend, right? And that was just the state of the world. But God called them to be different, right? But they cozied up to these people and it became a snare to them for hundreds and hundreds of years until eventually they were hauled off and exiled because of it, right? And if you don't deal with what God's calling you to do, it will become a snare to you. It will become a snare. Verse uh, 18. But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. And this is a big key. He says, I want you to remember. Remember those big catalytic moments when God moved in your life and you saw him dramatically move. Those moments when he came through and he provided for you. Remember that. Because they were, were in the desert now. They'd been in the desert for a long time, right? And, and they'd, they'd seen some incredible things along the way. God had done some amazing things. One of the coolest things they did was manna, right? That God, can you imagine that? The very first day you show up and there's this stuff all over the ground. It's like manna. And it's this amazing stuff and they're so blown away and they're blessed by it. But then along the way, it's just sort of ho-hum. Can you imagine it becoming ho-hum in your life? You know, what was just an amazing, miraculous thing. You've just kind of gotten used to the fact that God has provided for you in such an amazing way and that God has blessed you. I mean, if somebody else, if we had showed up in the desert on their doorstep and gone, wow, manna, and like 40 years into this, they'd be, oh yeah, that's just manna. You're like, what, this comes from the sky every morning? That's amazing, right? You guys turn it into like banana pancakes and, you know, <laughs> banana bread and burgers, all that. I mean, it's amazing, right? But, they, but for them, they've just gotten used to it, right? What have you just gotten used to in your life? <laughs> like, like, how about high-speed internet? You just take it for granted, right? And then when your YouTube video takes 15 seconds to buffer, you're like, what's wrong, this stupid thing? And you don't even know how it works. It's amazing, isn't it? But God has placed blessings in your life. And here, in remembering what God has done for you, not getting ho-hum about the things that God has done for you is such a key 
remembering how blessed you are. And also remembering those milestone moments in your life where God stepped in and he moved in a big way. I have a placard that somebody drew a whale. I call it my Jonah moment. Um, and somebody drew this for me, my missions team member, after this uh, experience I had. And that's a reminder of a time that, ah, God just stepped in and worked in my life in such a powerful way, right? You need to remember those things because it will not always be easy. You need to write those things down as you experience blessings, because otherwise it'll just become, either you'll, you'll, it'll become ho-hum and you won't even realize how much God is blessing you, or you'll forget when you go through hard seasons and you'll think he's abandoned you. You need to remember what God has done in your life. Verse 20, moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. Now, I don't know what that's all about, Right? commentators don't agree. Like, what is that? A giant hornet? The hornet of God, you know? That would definitely drive the enemies out of the land. I would freak out. I would run away, right? I don't like bees. Bees, bees, they're everywhere. Sorry, dumb and dumber quote. That's old. All right. How do you recover from a dumb and dumber quote in a message? I I don't know. Anyway, the hornet, right? The hornet, like swarms of bees or whatever. But, but the point is, this is going to be a supernatural thing, isn't it? Maybe it was an F-18 hornet. That'd be pretty cool. I would freak them out 3,500 years ago and today, right? <laughs> but the point is that God is going to be with you. God is going to be with you, right? Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is great and awesome. See, here's here's where your focus needs to be. You need to be reliant on him, and that's the point. He's sending them into something he knows they cannot do on their own. He knows you can't get this done on your own. And God allows us to go into situations like that all the time where we can't get it done on our own. But the point is, who is with you? Who is among you? The great and awesome God. The great and awesome God is among you. God knew they felt weak and small, and you feel like that perhaps in the situation you're facing right now. You, f- you don't feel like you have what it takes, and maybe you don't. But the key here is trusting in who? God, the great and awesome God, who is with you. And if you put your tr- faith and trust in Jesus, who dwells in you in his Holy Spirit and empowers you to get to the things that he's calling you to get to when you walk by his Spirit. That's what you need to keep your eyes and focused on. So isn't this a cool little passage? Yeah. But now we get to the key verse, the thing I really want to spend some time here. And this is a very important little idea. And I'll see if you you discover it in here. Verse 22. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you, little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once, or the wild animals will multiply around you. So there's a very important key in here. Did anybody catch it the first time? (laughs) Second row. See, at this point, they're thinking, okay, this is a good pep talk. Yeah, God's the hornet. Cool, right? Hope the hornet stays away from me. But they're thinking, they're, they're all like getting pumped up. And then all of a sudden, God drops this verse on them. Moses says, oh, by the way, um, you know, God's going to do it, drive out the nations before you little by little. Wait a minute. I don't want little by little. We want it done now, don't we? 
We want to experience the blessing now. We want to be who we are supposed to be now. We want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or not, or whoever you want to be now. Right? But that's not the way that life works. And that's not the way that God works. Now, there's those dramatic moments, right, where God just does does a big dramatic thing. And those are meant to spur us on and get us on the path that we're meant to go. But that's not the thing that gets you there. The thing that gets you there is this little thing right here. Little by little, this is what gets you where you want to go. This is the way God has designed the journey to work. You know, a lot of you have started uh, Coles at the beginning of the year. You know, you had this massive workout goal. You're going to get in the best shape of your life. And so you went to the gym for two or three hours a day. And you couldn't, that lasted for like a week, right? And then you couldn't get out of bed for a week. Then you tried again and you sputtered out somewhere along the way, right? We all know, don't we? If you just were to exercise 30 minutes, you know, three times per week, it could make an incredible impact on your health. But so many times we struggle to do it, don't we? We really struggle just to, to keep that consistency. We believe that successful people are where they are because of incredible talent. And often there's talent involved, but most often, most often they're where they are because of incredible consistency in the things that matter the most. Craig Rochelle, who pastors one of the largest churches in the nation, uh, says this, many people believe that success is a result of a few big steps. Nothing is further from the truth. It is the small things that no one sees that create the results everyone wants. Small disciplines done consistently lead to big results over time. And see, we're looking for the big moment. We're looking for the dramatic thing all the time, aren't we? To try to get us to where we want to go. Now, dramatic things are okay. Those moments, one of the nice things about the restart at the new year is it actually motivates you. You need those moments when you get so sick uh, and tired of the place you're in that you're motivated to get to the place where you need to be, right? But you know what? Those, I call them catalytic moments. They can get you into motion. But the way you capitalize on those catalytic moments is by consistency, Let me say that again. Catalytic moments can get you into motion, but the way you capitalize on catalytic moments is by consistency. I mean, this bears true across all fields of life. A great book um, called Great by Choice, Jim Collins, great business leader, writes this. And he analyzes businesses, and he says, we just think that businesses got lucky. No, it's what they did after they had an opportunity. It's the radical consistency that they operated with. We think it's all luck. No, it's how, you, how consistently you take that and take it somewhere that makes the big difference, right? That's what makes the big difference in your life. There's two ways to get into motion. Like catalytic moments can get you into motion. Like you can go to zero to 60 with a lot of horsepower, Right? Some of you, you, you do this well, like, you know, you like muscle cars. You rev zero to 60, you know. But in my little f- four-cylinder car, <laughs> I can't go zero to 60 as fast as you, but I can go a lot longer than you, right? Why is that? Because I get a lot better mileage. 
And consistency is like better gas mileage. Consistency is the thing that gets you there long term, right? Consistency is the thing that carries you further than you ever dreamed you could go. Newton says this, Sir Isaac Newton, objects will remain at rest or in uniform motion in a straight line. You remember this law? You learned this in school. Unless compelled to change its state by the action of an external force. So external forces are those catalytic moments I just talked about, right? Those are good because they get you into motion. The important thing is to get into motion. That is very vital and important. He says, things that are at rest stay at rest. Have you experienced that? How when you ran out of steam on something in your, in your life, you know, three months into it, and you found yourself at rest in whatever that was, whether that was sleeping in, you know, snoozing three extra times when you said you were going to get up and read the Bible, you know, or whether that was extending your one cheat day. Uh, you were going to do a cheat day, and you're like, well, what if I just did a couple hours of cheat every, every day? 24 hours, we'll just spread it out all the way through, you know? But have you noticed that once you're stalled out, it's so much harder to get going again? Because objects at rest stay at rest. It's physics, according to Newton, right? And you've experienced that in your life. And so momentum is extremely, extremely important. And here's, here's a key with this. The key in the whole little by little conversation, the smaller your steps are, the better chance you're actually going to make progress. The smaller you make the steps you need to take, the smaller the habits, the smaller the things. See, we often think at the beginning of the year, if I can just, I'm going to make some big goals. Now, big goals are good, but you make too big a goals for right now and too little a goals when you look at, the, at your life long term and what God might want you to accomplish. You need to start thinking, what small things can I change right now that will get me into motion going where God wants me to go? What small steps? I read this really, really cool article um, be called uh, Take the One Push-Up Challenge. It's a blog post by Stephen Geis, who's the author of a book called Mini Habits. Smaller habits, bigger results. And if you want to read it, it's fascinating. Uh, you can just Google Take the One Push-Up Challenge and it'll pop right up the first result. But he, here's what he said. He says he discovered, he got in this habit where, you know, he's doing pretty good on his workout routine for a little while. And then before too long, he just couldn't get up the motivation. He'd go in, he'd open the, the closet and see his gym clothes, he'd be like, I could put those on, but that's a lot of work, right? And I could go to the gym, but I don't want to. And for us, January gets cold, and we don't, we're not used to the cold in Grand Junction, right? So it's like, yeah, I could go to the gym, but I'm in my living room, and it's warm in here, right? So we all do that, don't we? Certain, except for you really disciplined ones, and you, know, you can teach us all the rest of us later. Um, but he discovered, I'm, the problem here is, once I get started, I do fine, but getting started, that's, that's the challenge. And so he made a commitment. This year, I will do one push-up a day. That's a pretty, that's a, uh, you know, how many of you think you could do one push-up a day? Knee push-ups, you know. <laughs> all right. One push-up a day. Yeah, we all could. No problem, right? And what he discovered was the simple act of getting into motion set off a chain of events. Just like Newton says, an object that's in motion does what? Remains in motion. An object at rest does what? Stays at rest. See, momentum and movement in a direction is one of the most critical 
factors. And so what he discovered, this turned into, you know, he'd get down there, he'd do a push-up, and before you know it, he's like, I'm already down here, might as well do a couple more. And then that turned into, well, I'm already working out. I'll just bust out the rest of this workout, 30-minute workout. See, one push-up a day isn't going to change anything, really, physically for you, right? But that's not the point. The point is getting started, just the momentum and the consistency of every day I'm going to do this. I will not fail, right? Just staying in motion, that sets off a whole chain of events. And he said he got in the best shape of his life that year. And even years later, when, when he hurt his back and had to take a pause and found himself, oh no, back in the same situation, he had built the, that neural memory to keep going in that direction because of that habit. He says this, he says, a mini habit is a very small positive behavior that you force yourself to do every day. Small steps work every time and habits are built by consistency. So the two were meant to be together. He says it's a myth, this whole idea that you know, some people, you can set a new habit into place in 21 to 30 days. Because a lot of you, you tried this in, in January, and then you got to March, and you're like, ah, where did that go, you know? And he says, no, 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 that's a myth. Some people can do that, depending on the habit, depending on the person. But for many people, it takes 18 to 254 days to establish an actual habit. I bet you all brushed your teeth yesterday, right? You didn't really even think about it. But trust me, when you have kids, you have to remind them over and over and over, Right? didn't become a habit. You didn't remind him seven times or 30 times. You reminded him 500 times, and finally they remember on their own. And you don't struggle to do it either. It's not like a big deal. You're not like, oh, I got to brush my teeth again. You just do it, right? You just do it, or at least you need to. Otherwise, that can be your first habit. <laughs> I'm going to brush my teeth this year. You should make that one, especially if you're a single guy, okay? I'm just saying. Okay. So there's some real keys. Now, so if you want to get to where you're going long-term, one of the keys is to shrink your, your short-term goals and steps down a lot smaller. He says, make your goals so small you can't fail. Make it, make it so, so small that you would be embarrassed to fail. One push-up. Come on, seriously? I'm going to be too lazy to do one push-up? Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one page of the Bible. It'll take me less than two minutes. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer every day, just not because not it's some magical formula, but because it gets my heart and, and mind in, in a way of focusing on God, and then that'll carry me hopefully on to some other stuff. I'm, I'm going to do that every day. So small that, that, that you can't fail. And then let that momentum take you to places where you, you never thought you could go. Here's some keys to allowing these little by little, small steps, many habits to be effective in your life. One of them is to choose keystone habits. I read this great book a few years ago by Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habit. Key, keystone habits are things that make an inverse impact on your life. They're little habits, they're little things that don't seem like much, but they have giant ripples in your life, right? They influence all kinds of other things. Making your bed, interestingly enough, is one of these. And like all kinds of successful people, they get up and they make their bed first thing in the morning. Four-star, five-star generals. This is one of my key habits. Well, that's not very exciting. No, but the first task on your to-do list, you've conquered for the day. You owned it, right? You made that bed. And that gets you started on, on your day in a lot better way. 
Um, there's all kinds of things. Relationally, relationally, eating meals together three to four times a week is incredibly important for your family dynamic. It can have ripples that go on, and you don't even know it, but you're building relational connectivity just through that simple habit, putting tech away and having meals together and talking about things, especially when you bring in spiritual conversations, conversations about God and your day into those things, right? One of, your, one of the best things you can do. Um, physical fitness, we all know that, right? Even small chunks, a couple times a week can have a, a real big impact on the rest of your life. Doing exercise in the morning can give you 12 hours of more focus. They say it's like taking um, uh, a little bit of Ritalin and a little bit of Prozac, except for naturally, you know, you don't have to, not chemically, right? That's what they say. And it helps you focus. It's one of those positive things. Um, I believe, you know, spiritual discipline, like we said, of regular prayer and Bible reading, we have those things out there, can make a huge difference in your life. Life groups, being involved in genuine biblical community. It's not necessarily something you see the results of in the first year or even, you know, a little while into it. It's that consistency of people encouraging you and around you, encouraging you to follow God that keeps you in the game long-term. One of, one of, I believe, key habits in spiritual life. Tithing or planned generosity, where it's not just, yeah, when I feel like it, it's, it's, it's discipline. That's another thing that has ripples that go on to, into many other areas of your life when you acknowledge that, God, you're the owner and I'm the manager. And so I'm going to first give, right? That's one of those things that goes on. So choosing keystone habits, choosing the right things to put into motion are incredibly important. And then making concrete goals are incredibly important. Making a concrete plan, not fuzzy goals. Too many times you have too fuzzy of goals. Like, ah, I don't think I'm going to, I'm not going to text and drive. Okay, that's a good goal, right? That's a good thing. Don't do that. But you're checking your email and on Facebook. All right, you're cheating, right? You need to clarify that a little bit more, make it more effective, don't you? What is your goal? You gotta clarify it. You gotta, you gotta make sure it's very clear of what you're wanting to do, right? We want to do three, minimum three meals together as a family with no tech, where we sit around the table, eyeball to eyeball this week. Four is even better. Four is where you start to get great results, okay? That's a concrete goal. That's something concrete. I am going to... Every paycheck consistently pay off $100 extra debt. That's a concrete goal. And those are how you get somewhere. Consistency repeated over and over and over again, right? So you got to make concrete goals. Then you have to write it down and track it somewhere that you see it. This is extremely important. The simple act of writing down your goals and not just having them rattle around up in your brain is incredibly powerful. But there's something about tracking that. How are you doing? And if you can make it public, that's even more effective, right? If you can get your buddies in on it, that's one of the most effective ways you can do it. A famous business author said this, if you're not keeping score, you're just practicing. And isn't it true? I mean, in our modern society, you know, all these kids' games, we're not going to keep score. Oh, yeah, all the kids are keeping score, right? You were keeping score, weren't you? You knew exactly what the score was. It might have not been up on the board. But the point is, there's something in us that needs to have a score, that needs to know how we're doing. And so I created a little nerdy tool because that's me. I only took like, it's really lame. I took like five minutes and made this. Uh, but it's what I'm going to do this year on a few different habits. And one of them is uh, I'm going to do air squats. 
three of them. Doesn't sound impressive, but one of my goals for this year is every day I'm going to do three air squats, right? All the way down. I won't tell you what the gym coach calls them, but all the way down squats, okay? All the way down, okay. Three squats. Why? Because it's one of the best compound movements you can do. Um, you know, you can do push-ups. You can do whatever if you chose a physical goal. Why am I doing that? They're not, it'll help me keep flexible, right? But other than that, it's not going to do three. It's not going to do anything for me really long-term. Why? It's that momentum thing. It's that getting in motion thing, right? Just do it. And what I find is if I go down and I have a gym in my basement, in my garage, and I go down and I'll stand there and I do three air squats before you know it, you know, I'll jump on something else. Before you know it, I'll, I'll get a workout in. But if I'm thinking, I got to go down and do an hour-long workout, I would rather sit on the couch. Anybody else? Okay, so it's just getting in motion. So this is just a little tool to help you if you want to take one of these. If we run out, it'll be on the um, sermon link on the podcast on our website. You can just go and download it and print your own. Um, it's just three habits, three different habit goals for the whole year. January, I have 31 days listed out. Check them off as you go. And, and the point of this is you make it your goal to, to get as long of a string as you can. As long of a string as you can consistently. I'm going to do every single day without fail. Now, one day you'll wake up and you'll get sick or you'll have an early flight or something and you'll forget, right? And that's okay. The key is then never miss more than one day. Because what happens if you miss more than one day is you become what? An object at rest. And then you got to get that catalytic motion going again, right? So never miss more than one day. And, and just make it, I'm gonna, I'm, my goal is going to be to see how long the string is when I mess up, when I miss a day, whatever, I'll start over. And my goal is next time to make it even, even longer string. And string together as many, many of these little habits as I can. You got to find a way to track it. You got to find a way to track it. And then you have to, I, I mean, you just have to be aggressive about it and say, I'm just not going to miss. I'm going to do this every, every single day. You know, great things take time. How many of you know what compound interest is? See, these little habits are like, work like compound interest. Is they don't seem like much on their own, but, but the things that you repeat little by little, over and over and over, could radically transform what five years from now looks like for you. Small deposits of time invested over and over make up great things. And this has applications in all different areas of life, relationally in your spiritual life, in your physical life, in your career. Those small things and creativity, getting to that thing. You want to get to a different place. You want to write a book. You can get there by just taking a short amount of time and doing it day after day after day. Albert Einstein once said this, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. And you've done this at some point in your life, probably when you were a kid. You did this little experiment. It's a sheet of paper. You folded it. Now, we had one sheet. Now, how many sheets do we have? Two. Okay. I'm going to fold it again. How many sheets? How many? What's the thickness? Four. You don't have to be shy. This isn't that hard. Remedial math. That might be your goal for the year. Okay. Eight. Thank you. Sixteen. How many? Yes. How many? Yep. And I'm done. <laughs> Some of you might be stronger. You could come up and do one more, but I'm done. Did you know I only folded this six times? 
This is how compound interest works. Do you know if you kept doing this little fun little experiment, you had a big enough piece of paper and you kept doing it? Um, you, if you could fold it 10 times, it would be as wide as your hand. If you could fold it 30 times, just 20 more times, it would go 62 miles. That's the edge of space. If you could fold it 42 times, it would go to the moon. If you could fold this 51 times, it would go to the sun. If you could fold this 103 times, it would be 93 billion light years wide, the width of the observable universe. And that's the power of small things accumulating over and over and over again. Now, we don't always like little by little, do we? We don't always like little by little. But this is the way that God intends it to work in our lives. In fact, earlier in, in, in the scripture in Exodus, and basically Deuteronomy, Moses recaps the same thing. He says this again, verse 30. And he says, I'm not going to drive them out in a single year because the land will become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. And why does God allow this little by little process in our life? Because he still has work to do in you, right? He has work to do in you. He says, you're not populous enough. If I were to drive them out, the land would just be left. And God has some things he wants you to do to do in you. God has some things you need to deal with in your life. God has some disciplines and some habits that you need to accumulate and consistently build before you're going to get to whatever blessing it is that he wants to give you. You know, everyone wants to win the lottery. Everybody thinks they'd do a good job, right? Don't you? You do. I do. I think I'd do a good job if I won the lottery. I'd be generous. You know, statistically... People end up broke again in a very short period of time. And statistically, the vast majority of people, it ends up ruining their lives. Because they didn't put in the effort and the work that it took to get to a place where they could manage that kind of a responsibility, right? The other thing is we just give up too quickly, don't we? The thing about compound interest in these small things is it has to be repeated over and over and over and over And we just give up too quickly. The problem with thinking more long-term five years is that it's five years, right? We have a hard enough time thinking this year. Zechariah said, do not despise small beginnings. We want to start big and dramatic. He said, don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise it. And you know, in those early days, I mean, I can remember planning the church where one, year, one, one weekend we had 13 people, including my, my kids. Don't despise small beginnings. It's cumulative. You've got to keep putting in the reps, don't you? God is not only okay with this little by little, it's his idea. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like what? A mustard seed. A mustard seed. He said... Those who've been faithful with a little will be entrusted with a lot. Charles Spurgeon, the famous theologian, said this, Courage, my heart, go on little by little, for many littles will make a great whole. And the apostle Paul said this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so when it comes to your life, What's your little by little this year? 
as you think of the next five years, what's your little by little? When you think of who, who does God want me to become as a husband, as a father, as a, as a brother or sister, as an employer, as a boss? Who does God want me to become? What, and then what can God might God accomplish? What's your little by little? What do you need to become consistent right now with spiritually, physically, relationally? Would you commit to do it in this new year? Would you commit to do it? Would you stand? And I'm going to just close by praying for you. Father, I pray that you would give each one here just the wisdom to know the most important things that they could set into motion in their lives that will allow them to, to, to go where you want them to go in their walk with you and in their relationships with each other, Lord, and in, in whatever you've called them to do in life. And I pray you'd give them the courage and the stick to itness to do it, Lord. Thank you for this amazing truth that you've preserved for all these years. Lord, we bless you and we honor you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.